You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello listeners, welcome to another Essential Apple. Uh, this week I am joined by Nick Riley. Hello Nick. Hi Simon. Good to be back again. Thank you. Yes, glad to have you. Um, well, after last week's uh, slow week that wasn't, uh, <laughs> this week we have a slow week that was, to be honest. Um, not a lot going on, at least on the Apple front. Um, I suppose uh, when you think about it, Apple uh, lo- released so much stuff over the last <laughs> over the last month or so that. Um... There isn't, you know, there's bound not to be that many stories because they're busy trying to deliver everything they said they would. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. I suspect it will now be fairly sluggish until the uh, well, until we get to the run up to WWDC. Yeah, and then, yeah, then the rumor right. the rumor mill will fire up, and we'll be you know all those articles that say things like everything we know about what will be at WWDC and. <laughs> And you go, yes. oh. everything that wasn't upgraded the last time. <laughs> <laughs> what we think we, you know, Apple are going to do. Oh, shut up. Shut up. Well, there we go. Um, well, this week, uh, what we did get was Apple apparently are now going to offer free data migrations uh, with a new Mac purchase or repair. Um, apparently, they charged for this before. Oh, that's good. It's good that they're offering it for free. That's, yes, um, that seems a positive step forward. Um, as we were discussing before the show, I don't think either of us would bother using that service. But if you're new to the Mac, yes, that might be quite quite valuable. It might be. Um, it says it does. It does say right at the end, um, of course, that it could take quite a long time. <laughs> so yeah, be prepared to wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, apparently, they charge ninety nine dollars previously which is which is quite a lot really seems a bit steep to be honest but then but well i suppose when you think about it it's probably at least an hour's work isn't it yeah transfer i mean when i say work i mean it's an hour letting the machine do whatever it's doing to suck the data off the other machine depends how how fast the machines are and how much stuff you've got to migrate i guess that's true that's Um, true well um Yes, what does it say here? Beginning on April the 2nd, there will be no cost for data migrations with the purchase of a new Mac. Well, yeah, I should, to be honest, when you're paying, you know, well, probably over a thousand dollars. Yeah. It only seems pro- fair. Pro- probably about twice what you'd normally spend on a, on a PC. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, depending on what quality of PC you're going for, of course, but if you're a, the average Joe, you probably would, would, bulk spending over a thousand pounds on a on a standard pc because you could probably get a, a powerful enough machine for about 500 quid without any yeah, d- very, doubt really so. very much so um in, interestingly enough actually as it happened as such things do um my my father uh started having problems with the uh he got a samsung um windows laptop which i gave oh, yeah. which i gave him several years ago when his mac 
died. Uh, he had Mac laptops before that, and um, his Mac laptop went poof. And um, so uh, me and my wife gave him, uh, we had a, this Samsung Windows PC, which we thought, right, well, you know, it doesn't, we don't have the money to buy him a Mac, and he didn't really want to buy a Mac. And so we, we gave him this um, Samsung Windows PC, which is perfectly adequate for what he wanted to do. I mean, you know, surf the net, go on eBay, that sort of thing, email, uh, watch YouTube, nothing very, uh, nothing very strenuous. Um, and I can't remember how long he's had it, but he's had it a long time. And uh, the other day he was saying to me, oh, it, it, it's getting unresponsive. So I went round and I ran um, Malwarebytes and I ran um, Avera and that all came up clean. Um, and it seemed to be all right. So I said, well, it seems to be all right now, Dad. Um, and then the next day he says, it's doing it again, so it's doing it again. So I said, well, what's it doing? And he says, well, like I'm on you know, on a web page and I press the down arrow for it to move and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't and then I hit the button two or three times and then it suddenly wakes up and scrolls all the way to the bottom of the page and, you know, <laughs> like, okay, Dad, okay. And then my brother went round um, and ran some kind of PC cleaner program which, um, you know, appeared to fix it temporarily but uh, that only worked for about two or three days and it was doing it again. So I said, I think you might have to, you know, I thought it was dad and, and, you know, think about um, replacing it. I mean, it is old. It's, I don't know how old it is. I think I look, looked at it and it, when I got it back home um, and it was about 10 years old. So, you know. Oh, that's um, quite old. Yeah, yeah, it's quite old. I mean, it was quite a good PC, you know, in its day. So it's done well, you know, on light duties. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've got um, I've got a really well. I say I've got it it's down at church at the moment, but I've got I bought a um, one of these through the company. You know, the company where we're able to get um, um, gra- uh, what's the word I'm after? You get a discount. Uh, yeah, you you buy it through through your salary basically, so that oh, you'd, right, you'd yeah. save on tax and stuff like that, and um, and um, so this is going back quite a number of years. Uh, and it was fine. Uh, it was a Sony that I bought, uh, and it was a, it was great. It worked very well for a long time, and then I sort of stopped using it as much. And then I tried to upgrade it with, with Windows Seven, I think it was. And oh no, the drivers just wouldn't play ball. And in the end, I just thought, ah, oh, I'm going to stick stick Linux on it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Uh, and so yeah, it's got it's got a version of Linux on it. Um, uh, so if I, if we ever did need it for doing whatever, it's it's down there and it's uh, fairly easy to use so, and yeah. quick. So uh, I, I said to him, well, you might need to. Um, I mean, this, yeah, the, I think the the Samsung came originally with Vista, and then oh right, yeah, yeah. that's how, yeah, it came with Vista, and then I I upgraded it, I think, to Windows Seven, then eight point one. Um, and then 10. So, I mean, it, you know, it's had a good life. It, and oh, that's yeah. the thing, I think, that, that you know, if you it, budget PCs come in a variety of kinds, and if you buy, I found in my time, if you buy something like an Acer or an Asus or one of those, if you get three years out of it, you're doing well. Um, yeah. You know, they're cheap. You know, they're cheap and cheerful, but what often happens is they just start to fall apart, literally, because they're made out of all plastic and... <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, you get what you pay for, you know. They're, they're, Indeed you do. They're often, you know, they're cheap and cheerful, but they often only last two or three years. Anyway, um, yeah, if you buy something like a Sony or Samsung, well, I mean, Sony don't make PCs anymore, do they? But uh, the ones they used to make, no. uh, Sony PCs, uh, particularly their laptops, 
Um, I know their Vios were in a similar bracket to a to a MacBook or a MacBook. Oh, they were. Yes, it, yes, it wasn't cheap. It's only because I was buying it over a couple mm. of years, and they were that, not, that it, that it worked out as very competitive that way. But uh... yeah, so exactly. But again, you know, you you get what you pay for. You buy a more expensive PC, and you can expect to get you know fairly good lifetime out of it, or Mac lifetime if you're yes. careful yeah. with it. Anyway, so. Um, I said to him, "You time to you might have to buy a newer machine." So he's like, mm, "How much money is it going to cost me?" I said, "Well, you know." He said, "I will go down to the uh, to the local. Um, there's a place here called the Trade Inn, which is a sort of um, it's like an independent um, pawnbroker slash you know entertainment exchange type place they have. Oh uh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. It's independently run." Um, by uh, a guy and uh, it's a very good place actually don't don't get me wrong um he, he gives good price you know fair prices for stuff he trade in and um he doesn't overcharge you on stuff he sells out I, i'd quite rate him but um obviously my dad knows nothing really so yeah i said yeah. he was going to rush down there and buy a pc and i said don't do that dad don't do that let me have a look on amazon or uh ebay and see what we can turn up so uh, i had to dig around and i found some refurbished hp elite books oh not um, heard of those uh, well yeah they're quite good they're sort of um mid-range business machines really anyway um this was a 13 inch 8 or 13 or 14 inch hp elite book uh i5 mm-hmm. uh four gig of ram you know reasonable hard drive um about 230 pounds oh that sounds good uh, obviously a few years old, but yeah. um, perfectly adequate for what he wants. I mean, a jump from a Pentium to an i5 is <laughs> a big, <laughs> big step up. His only yes. loss is going down from a 15-inch screen to a smaller screen. But um, so he decided, to, I, well, I gave him a selection. I found a, a bunch, and they ranged from about £229 to about 350 mm-hmm. And I said, any of those will do you, really, Dad, any of those will do you. So he he, he bought this one for about 230 quid, I think. And um, it came, and then he gave it to me and said, can you set it up for me? Um, and uh, I have to say, it was very good. It came. It was completely uh, clean, you know, um, in very nice nick. Uh, came with a, a new OEM license for Windows 10 um, with a thing, you know, with a certificate saying OEM license for refurbished machines. Um, oh, okay. Guarantee that it's, you know, all kosher. Um, so I set that up for him, and it's very, very nice. It's quite interesting that on the bottom of it, it's got like um like a SCSI connector. I'm sure it's not for SCSI, but uh, like we were talking about those plug together modules. Yes, yeah. It's got a it's got an edge connector underneath, and I'm assuming that that, that that's um you, there must be some kind of dock. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. That yeah. you, you know that because as a business machine, I'm wondering if it came with, originally. It's meant to be docked into a into a footplate to connect to bigger monitors and whatnot. Anyway. All yeah, that. So, Sound, so, that sounds like it. Yeah, so that was a very nice machine, and you know, two hundred and thirty pounds. So yeah, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. So anyway, uh, I brought the old Samsung home, and uh, I I thought, well, I'll I'll clean it out, and you know, maybe uh, sort of do a reset on the Windows, and uh, <laughs> I tried to do that, and it failed miserably oh, right <laughs> and i thought mm, i'm not sure about this so then i tried i thought i know i'll i'll um i'll install uh ubuntu as a dual boot um 
Yeah. And that failed as well. It got like halfway through and said unable to finish completing, uh, you know, making a partition or whatever it was. Oh, it sounds like the hard drive's on its way out. And I thought, yeah, the hard, drive, the hard drive's going, I think. So I whipped the hard drive out. The one thing you can say about those sort of um, PCs is that you just open a little hatch and pull it out. So I put, um, I put another hard drive in that I had uh, laying around. And, uh, of course, then I don't have a Windows 10 installer. And I, it was, as I say, it'd been upgraded from wherever. You couldn't put Windows 10 on it again because then it would be unlicensed and I don't want to pay yeah. license. So I put Ubuntu on it. I, I went for Ubuntu uh, 19. Which oh, is... right. Yeah, I think I've got Ubuntu on the machine down at church. Yeah, yeah. So... yeah well, I, I like Ubuntu. It's one of the... I know... It's, quite, it's quite sort of Windows-like, really, isn't it? It's it's fairly... It's got Ubuntu... a menu on the side and... Uh... <laughs> depends which depends which one you go for because you can have Ubuntu with um or do it varies varies. I tend to use GNOME Flashback, which is very stripped down. Um, oh right, they do yeah. they do a uh, they do a KDE version, which is very much designed to uh, emulate Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, the the default now is their own um, version of GNOME, um, which is meant to be more Mac like. Um, I I go for GNOME Flashback personally because that's very simplified. But anyway. Be that as it may, so I put a new hard drive in it. I put uh, Ubuntu 1904, uh, which is like final beta or something, because it's released in a couple of days' time, I think, officially. Oh right, yeah. Um, and and then it was all fine. Um, and what I was surprised at, um, although I've been putting Ubuntu on machines for some time, um, as I said uh, some time ago, I had an old white MacBook and I put a version of an Ubuntu 16 or something, 1604 or something on it. Mm-hmm. Um. It, yeah, but even even then, I was surprised at how much uh, more user friendly it's become. And also, oh yeah, without a doubt, because at um, one time you had to be a real geek to put up on to put about any kind of Linux. Well, on. you did, yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, I but see. no, modern modern Linux releases are quite Mac like, as you say, or, or I suppose PCs like in some ways. Yeah, well, um, they're very. You know, you literally just kick them off, and away they go, and. Eventually, you have an operating system, and um, I thought, right, I'll, I'll I'll have a play here. Um, and they've they've now you used to have the Ubuntu Store, which yes. was a bit like the Mac App Store, and you could type things in and whatnot. But some of that was still a little bit um, clunky. Clunky, yeah. You'd get dev packages downloaded and things that you had to expand and whatnot. But now they have a technology. Um, Linux has got a new technology called well, I don't know how new it is, but they have a thing called Snap. Okay. This is their new technology. Which for I think the whole point of it is it's a cross distro technology. So you don't oh, have all this thing about RPM and Deb and is it in the Ubuntu repository and all the rest and, and yes. this app to get and stuff. You just uh, go to the software and it brings up like a Mac App Store type thing and then you just type in what you want and it will show you if it's available as a Snap app. Which and a Snap app literally just downloads. That's it. It's straight. Oh. In. That's a lot more straightforward, isn't yeah, it? Yes, so that's lovely. And I thought, okay, well, what should I put? So I went, oh, Skype. Now, I know Skype's been available on Linux forever. So um, I put in, I put on Skype. Just put Skype. There it is. You just click install. It just goes installing. You know, done. You click launch. Um, and then I went, okay, I'll do ProtonMail um, and Wire and uh, Clicks Browser. And That's uh, one of the nice things, isn't it, about computers these days? I mean, that is that most software is available for multiple devices on different OSs. Yes. So so even, the, I mean, one of the things I liked about moving to the Mac was, so my first Mac was an Intel one. Mm. And, and straight away, a lot of the software that I'd been using on, on my PC was available for the Mac. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I've heard people say, oh, oh, no, Macs are so different to PCs. But in all honesty, yes, they operate a little bit differently. But software-wise, you can almost get exactly the same stuff no matter where you are. Obviously, you're not going to get the Apple stuff no. on, a, on other devices. Well, at the moment, but who knows the way that Apple are going yeah, at indeed, the moment. Who, who knows? Um, so, yeah, I would, you know, I was really surprised. And I thought, oh, uh, I went to Proton. I thought, well, I'll, can I install the Proton Mail Bridge? Um, and I typed that in and there was a thing no so i went to i went to the proton proton mail site and um clicked bridge and then it said download for you know uh, windows download for mac or the ios or whatever that's not for ios but um so i clicked on it and it said uh, linux so i thought oh okay so i clicked on that it says if you're currently in beta if you want to sign up for the beta you know send an email to proton mail bridge linux or whatever it was so i did that and about 2 hours later i got an email saying here's a link um, and we will actually soon be adding the link directly to the page. Oh, cool! So that's that's that. Um, yeah, obviously there's there's no Adobe, there's no um, you know, there's no Microsoft Office. No, no. But um, but you you can get stuff done. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and of course the advantage with Linux was always that it would run on pretty lowly hardware. Mm. So you didn't have to go for something that was incredibly powerful no. um, and cost a lot of money. So. It's, um... You know, oh, kudos to Linux, I say. Yeah, very much so. I've, I've been a big fan of, you know, I've played with other distros in the past, but I, I always end up coming back to um, Ubuntu just for ease of use, really. Especially if we're going to give it to somebody, you know, I gave it to my son and said, right, you do realise this isn't Windows, this is different. Um, the only thing he's a bit miffed about at the minute is he, there's, there's some Flash games online he can't get to work. Um, I put Flash right. on it. Yeah. You can install Flash on it. Yeah. But uh, some of the sites he went to didn't want to play ball. But, you know, he mostly wants it to watch YouTube and stuff. So, you, I mean, tend to for, you, you tend to forget, don't you, how um, tech-savvy kids are these days. So, um so I gave my, I think I've told you before, I gave my MacBook Air to my niece. Um, and I said, so if you need any help setting it up and whatever, and I, before I knew what, you know, she was, she was doing stuff on it <laughs> within seconds of me ha- of her opening it. And I thought, okay, I'll just shut up. <laughs> well, I think, I think the other, the other thing is those of us who've been doing, you know, computing on different platforms for, you know, decades, yeah. is that we still kind of often think of it in the way that, you know, when we started out where, you know, Windows was Windows and Mac was Mac and yeah. Linux was barely viable with, you know, or, well, when I started, there was no Linux. But when Linux first came along, you know, it really was a geeky, very creaky. And But over time, everybody steals from everybody else and everybody copies the best bits and drops the bad bits. And to be honest... Yeah, they actually start to look a bit like one another. <laughs> they're all much of a muchness now, aren't they? Yeah. You know, what... You know, the days when Apple didn't have a right click, a long, long con, and, um, <laughs> yes. you know, so there you go. Uh, so that was that. And then, bizarrely, um, my sister <laughs> emailed me and said, so I, I'm thinking of getting a computer because I, I want one for my um, university work. She's um optometrist. And, oh, um, right, yeah. Uh, she, she said, oh, I, I keep using my son's and he's getting the ump. You know, <laughs> so uh, she said to me, oh, I, I was, uh, you know, I don't really know what to get. So she sent me a thing, said, I, I was looking at this one, at Dell Inspiron or something that was about 600 pounds. 
And I said to her, you know, I'm not really sure you need that much power. (laughs) I don't think you really need to spend that much money. And again, I went on Amazon. I found her, um, I think it was another HP Elite book, but a a bit higher spec than the one. It was still an i5. It was an i5, 8 gig of RAM with an SSD. And I think that was about £350, which she said, well, I'll I'll buy that. Packards aren't bad. Not no. bad machines at all. No, very no. good machines. So she bought that and said, oh, thanks, I. That's just saved me about 250 <laughs> quid, you know. But, um, yeah. and perfectly adequate for what she wants to do, obviously. Um, well, Probably good. There we go. I hope you've been, cu- uh, hope you've been paid for all this alternacy work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Well, uh, look, we've gone down a rabbit hole there, haven't we? Uh, uh, we have a little bit, but never mind. mind. <laughs> there, there isn't that much story, so. <laughs> That's true. There's not that much story. Um, so what was the other one? Apple have added a confirm subscription step for in-app subscription signups on iOS. Um, this is everywhere. The story I've linked is on 9to5Mac, but um, about time, I say so. What about- yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say that I've ever subscribed by accident personally, but apparently it's quite easy to do. Um, so, well, it was the the trouble is the the original concept of subscriptions, of course, was fairly straightforward. Do you want to subscribe to this app and it's so much a month and that's the end of it? Yeah. But um, I, uh, you know, my daughter got caught out um, where she downloaded, um, I don't know what it was, a meditation app or a mindfulness app, um, you know, and it said download for free or whatnot. And she downloaded it. And of course, what it didn't make clear or, you know, was hidden away in the thing was that, yeah, free for seven days, and then unless you cancel, you will automatically be signed up for the $100 yearly subscription. Yeah, that's I, bad, isn't it? I, mean, I, I really think that, you know, it's about time we banned anything that does that. Mm. <laughs> we, you know what I mean? We shouldn't really allow companies to say, yeah, you can sign up and get a free copy, uh, and then your autos, that auto subscription, you, you just, they just shouldn't be able to do it. No. So, you know, I got a, basically, I got a thing on my iTunes bill saying you owe us $100. It's like, what? So um, I got onto Apple about it and said, look, this is what's happened. She signed up for this thing, didn't realise it was, a you know, an expensive subscription. I mean, they refunded my money, but, but it took a week for the money to come back, you know, via. Yes, yeah. But, um, and so And so Apple have now put in a step, which basically, if you click on something which includes a subscription whether it's made clear or not you will now get are you really sure that you want to sign up for this subscription which basically i guess is yes eliminating the sneaky subscription shenanigans because if you didn't realize it you'll get a thing saying this includes a subscription are you sure so that's good well done apple um yeah should have been in there previously i think but of course I, I suspect that's one of those things. They introduced app, uh, subscriptions in all good faith and people don't think about how underhand some people can get. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. So there we go. Um, the other couple of pieces we've, that we've got here is it, AirPods and shortcuts have shifted Apple's Siri story and blunted Amazon's Alexa Echo threat, uh, which is <laughs> a very long title. It certainly is. Uh, on Apple Insider, this is an opinion piece, um, basically saying that they believe that the uh, AirPods and the uh, Siri shortcuts are, uh, you know, tackling the the risk, um, you know, that Alexa is going to um, take over the whole um, voice assistant arena. Um, hmm. Interesting idea. Actually, from what I, I, I'll be fair, from what I read in 
you know, uh, some of the places I follow uh, and tech pinions and people like that, they seem to believe that actually, uh, despite the initial, you know, apparent dominance of uh, Echo and Alexa, um, actually Google Home is getting more tracks, traction. Um, okay, that's interesting. That You know, in the longer term, they think that uh, Amazon don't have enough reach but uh you know these things if everybody has an opinion i mean yeah it talks quite a lot about um that amazon's plan was originally to make it easier for people to buy things which mm. is not surprising considering they're amazon but... um but I, I don't think as many people as they'd hoped actually use i mean the fact is would you trust buying something by saying oh buy some of this without actually seeing it all people People bring that up all the time. And I think the only way that, that that I would imagine anybody doing that is if you have one of these, you know, if you have something that you always buy from Amazon. and Yes, and it's a recurring thing. And yeah, you probably that... buy it in bulk, you know, like, oh, well, send me a case of coffee or, you know, yes. deliver my toilet paper. You know, yeah, four and a half tons of toilet paper or something. Yeah, yeah you know, if you if you're one of these people who orders, you know, two gross of toilet rolls to be delivered from Amazon, then I could imagine maybe you would go, uh, you know, hey, a lady, please order more toilet rolls, and that would just be a stock, you know. Yeah, and yeah, maybe know, so. It would I know mean, what. In all, what honesty, but... in all honesty, I make enough mistakes buying stuff from Amazon as it is, and <laughs> yeah. without without asking for it. You know, and not really knowing quite what I'm asking for. No, um, I don't. I bought. I, uh, I bought. Uh, so I, I've been keeping Amazon af- afloat personally during the last few weeks with all this stuff I've been buying for church. Yeah, with uh, all your <laughs> yeah, and sending back to them. Uh, but um, uh, I bought uh, uh, a new radio microphone for church, and unfortunately, it's on a different frequency um, range than our receivers that we've got at church. Uh, but it has got its own receiver, but it's got a jack plug on it, and we haven't got a jack plug. So I thought, oh, no problem. I'll buy a jack plug to XLR microphone connection without properly checking what it was, what it had got to plug into. Uh, and it arrived on Friday, and I took it down to church on Saturday and tried to plug it in. I thought, oh, why would it go in? And then I noticed that actually it's two male connections. <laughs> and I, I just brought the wrong thing again. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not difficult to do. I mean, yeah. my wife um, was given a set of headphones, the, you know, uh, the big old cans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, old, sort of, I don't know, they're probably late 70s, 80s, vintage, uh, good quality, over ear, you know, uh, headphones. But, of course, mm-hmm. uh, they come with a quarter-inch jack. Of course they do. From, you know, from the days when we used to have big, chunky, great uh, things like guitar socket plugs. And uh, so she went on Amazon and looked for um, quarter-inch, you know, jack plug converter. And uh, there are millions on there. And uh, she bought a box that says, oh, you know, box of five uh, jack plug converters. It was about £3.50 or something stupid. So she ordered them. What she had failed to do was check which ones they were. And when they arrived, they were 3.5 to quarter inch. Uh, they were the wrong way around. They were exactly yeah. the wrong way around. <laughs> and what she actually wanted... Well, that's, that's effectively what I've done. So Yeah, so... You know, it's easily it's done. Easily done. Because... Yeah. So uh, then we... I said, to her, no, you don't want those. You, get, you need the other way around, which is um, quarter inch to 3.5. Well, you can imagine trying to do something like that on a on a voice you know, through your voice. I mean, <laughs> you'd have to be so specific, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. Um, order order me a female 
quarter inch jack plug to uh, female uh, XLR microphone input socket. <laughs> I know what Alexa's going to say. I'm sorry. I don't understand that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yes. Anyway, going back to it. Yes. Um, I mean, the one thing Alexa does seem to have become very popular with, of course, is um, is the home smart home stuff, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, without and a doubt. Light bulbs and switches and um, all that sort of thing. Um, yes, can... as you know, I'm an Amazon household uh, mm. when it comes to automation. But, uh, and I mean, I, in all honesty, it works pretty well most of the time. Mm. Um, I do, uh, you know, like most of these things, you do occasionally have to give it a good dressing down and tell it to stop being stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that I'm stupid at all, ever, of course. Oh, there we go. So anyway, what did it say here? It says... Um, yeah, Alexa's voice assistant uh, involves some impressive technology and along with a variety of similar services uh, such as Cortana, Bixby, uh, all were created in the original uh, Siri model. Um, and in some ways, Alexa and other voice services made Siri look embarrassingly antiquated. Um, I have to say that... To start uh, with, that was true. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and... Particularly because um, I think I said on um, the last time I was on Bart's show... Um, I asked <laughs> because I was calculating, you know, I've talked, we've talked before about me doing the church magazine and I was just trying to calculate, um, we do 175 magazines and there were, um, say, um, seven pages in each magazine. So I just said, what's seven times 175? And it said, here's some web pages that I found for you. <laughs> and so I said, so I thought, what, um, what's it doing? So I said, well, um, uh, hey, Siri, uh, I won't say the word. Hey, S lady, uh, what's 175 times seven? And then she gave me the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, uh, why could you not understand it the other way around? Yeah, that's very bizarre, isn't it? Very uh, bizarre. Yeah. I, I've, come, I've come to the conclusion because um, uh, Ewan on the uh, Big Mac show uh, um, also has great problems with uh, Siri. Um, it's, a, it's our brummy accents she can't cope with. <laughs> have a posher accent and I might answer you properly. Well, I don't have I've never had any luck with Siri. Very little. I, I use Siri um And yet if you speak to some Americans they they have no problem at all. So no, it's interesting, know. isn't it? Yeah. I it often does not understand anything I say to it. Um it, it, it works if I'm using my earpiece, um, you know, I'd press it and I say, you know, call Jackie or call Danielle or yes, call yeah. Dad. But that's a pretty much that, and uh, you know, set me a timer, um, which I often do on my watch, to be honest. Um, but no, uh, and to be honest, a lot of the time, what am I going to ask it that's not quicker and easier to just look at my phone? <laughs> yes, there is that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, um, at least with um, uh, with the A lady, yeah, you're um, you're quite often clumping things together. So I'll just say, you know time for bed and it'll turn off my lights off and turn my tv off and do multiple things all in one go because that in all honesty as you say if you're just going to do one item for everything that you ask for you might as well just get up and do it yourself <laughs> uh there we go anyway um so this is a quite a long article i have to say um so uh, what's the what's the major gist of it are they saying that um series going to come into its own is that is that it this is long yeah, Actually, this is a very long article. Um, I think what they're saying is that with uh, shortcuts, I think the long and the short of it in in the TLDR, um, 
is that with the uh, you know with uh, AirPods and uh, direct access to uh, Siri through the uh, AirPods and the use of shortcuts, you can make Siri far more useful. And uh, oh, well, of course, with the latest with the latest AirPods, you don't have to tap them or anything, do you? No, you they say, they uh, hey yes, just say the ah word. <laughs> Hey, S word. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, S lady, yeah. do this, that, and the other. Um. So that, if you're interested in that, that's a, ooh, I reckon that's a six, six or seven minute read at least, maybe more. Um. Yeah. Might be worth switching on the old, uh, what's it called? The uh, what's it view? Hi, the reader view. Oh yes, you want reader view for that. Yes, you want yeah. reader view for that. That's very. That's Actually, very... I hardly ever use it, but it is remarkable how. Well, it gets rid of all the rubbish. Well, most of the rubbish. I I use um, <laughs> I use the reader view a lot, especially on the phone because right, it, yes, it, see how also, that would help. Yeah. The other thing that it's very good for on the phone, other than simply trimming out all the cruft, um, when you're on the phone, is it it brings it up in reasonable sized plain type, which is good for those of us who um... yeah are of a certain <laughs> age and our eyesight isn't age. what it used to be. <laughs> Um, yes. No, it's very good, and uh, because often, of course, on a website, it will it will get rid of the sidebars and the headers and the footers, and not just ads, because obviously I use Crystal and AdBlock. Uh, yes. Anyway, but yep. it, it takes out all the spaces where the ads might have been. Um, if you don't have that, you often get big blank spaces where the ads have been blocked. Um, and yeah, I use Reader Reader all the time. The other thing that Reader View is very good for, and here's a handy tip: if you if you go to a website on your Mac. And you get one of those honking great things going, you know, do you want to do this, that and the other and choose what cookies you accept and all sorts of other, you know, uh, if you often, if you click reader view, it will just give you the reader view regardless. So ah, you, don't, right, okay. you don't have to worry about all those. Do you want cookies and GDPR announcements and all that? Just click the yes. reader view. And <laughs> it will just show you the test. That a bit more, then. <laughs> yes, it will just, you know, not always. Some of them are made so that they've, they've, engineered it so all you get then is the gdpr thing in reader ah, but, right. but most of the time it will it will bypass that for you and allow you to skim the article without having to uh muck about with that so um jolly good public service announcement there yeah there we go so that's a long read um i think the the uh, the gist of it is they're suggesting as the title says that airpods and shortcuts um have made siri much better um there we are uh jolly good Another opinion piece here was um, on 9to5Mac. An Apple Podcast Plus service could be a hit with listeners and creators. Um, not sure about this. I'm not sure that Apple are that interested in podcasts. To be no, honest. no, I don't think they are particularly. I mean, they, they created the whole format. And um, this 9to5Mac opinion piece um, suggests... Um, what does it suggest here? He says, the proposition is interesting. He's talked about Apple News Plus. If you really want to read tons of magazines or content from newspapers um, included in Apple News Plus, the nine ninety nine per month price is great value. Um, I'm not, well, I guess if you want to read a lot of magazines that way, yes. Um, yes. And, of course, uh, the fact that you can share it out over your family. Um, I f right, and this is, I feel the same way about Apple News Plus. I am doing the free trial, but I'm not sure I'll keep it long term. It's not terrible value, but it's not something I want to pay $120 a year for. Um, one thing that has been increasing, however, is my podcast listening through Apple Podcasts. Um, 
I think now might be the time for Apple to consider an Apple Podcast Plus as a way to continue evolving the podcast market while building ways for shows to build a revenue stream um, and keeping the market open. Um, now, of course, his, his main gist here is because he's uh, talking about uh, the fact that there are a whole bunch of people um, currently attempting to corral parts of uh, the podcast world. Um, yes, and he's he's saying he wants that, in his opinion, it should stay open, isn't it? But but there might be some merit in it all being brought together. Yes, I, mean, I think I think that's what he's saying. I yeah. think what he's implying is that if Apple did a, a, a news plus sort of idea where you could put your podcast into Podcast Plus and people put in a subscription to that, and then the money was divvied up amongst the uh, podcast, you know, pro rata to their listeners. Um, I suppose yeah. I could see that. I'd... A little bit like Patreon, really, isn't it? A little mm. bit like Patreon, but built into podcasts. Yeah. Um, what you're saying is, you know, I'm concerned that Spotify is attempting to do with their movement into original podcasts. The Athletic, which is somebody I've never heard of, recently announced they were venturing into original podcasts and they will be in their own app. Uh, even though I subscribe to The Athletic, I'd prefer to listen to them in the app of my choice. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, because pop- you, I mean, you get used to a a certain podcast don't mm. you and um i mean i love listening to stuff through overcast and yep. obviously different people have different opinions and we'll we'll go for another one but the thought of having to have multiple apps to listen to yeah that, multiple podcasts no you're gonna start to, i mean that's no, not no, gonna work is it no i mean we you know i now this podcast is now pushed out um from pinecast our host it goes to itunes overcast Google Podcasts, only available in the US, um, Spotify, um, and then I just added some more, which are in a sort of a one-click thing in in, um, in Pinecast, which was uh, Radio Public, Player FM, TuneIn. Um, and you... then there's those guys that you pay to stand on the tops of large buildings with megaphones. Yes. I mean... <laughs> yes, shouting it out. Um yeah, so I, you know, it, it was a one-click thing, so why not? But send it anywhere and everywhere. Um, yes, it, uh, I, I mean, I think the fact is, um, podcasters themselves would really like a sort of centralised podcasting app that would do all this work for you. Well, you know, in <laughs> it our, would be nice, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, in in our case, obviously, Pinecast, our host, provide all that. You simply do the clicks, and it pumps them out there. Um, iTunes, the repository itself, of course, is what. Um, People like Overcast and Castro and um, what's the other one? Pocket Casts and, and all the others, yeah. you know, that's where they mostly pull their feeds from. Um, as this guy says, in my opinion, a podcast is only a podcast if it's an RSS feed any client can use. Um, podcasting has been successful because of the decentralization of how media can be created and distributed. Anyone can make a show. You don't have yeah. to work at a big media firm to get started. Uh, buy a microphone, sign up for a hosting account, and share your show. Um, a podcast plus service like Apple News needs to be an add-on. Podcasting works because it's free and open. Apple Podcast Plus would be an addition to Apple Podcasts. There we go. Um, so he's um, suggesting he's suggesting that they ought to launch something called Podcast Apple Podcasts Podcast Connect. Or yeah, uh, Apple could integrate all the back end work into Apple Podcast Connect, and that's how the money could be deposited into accounts where rewards are added, etc. Hmm. Uh, it's well, an interesting idea. It's an interesting concept. Um, you know, it's a it's a yes, it's a moderately long piece. Um, 
I don't know. I don't think Apple are interested enough or feel that they would probably get enough people signing up, to be honest. No, I think podcasters would really love them to be more interested, but um, mm. their past um, efforts <laughs> have been a, bit, a little lacklustre, shall we say. Yeah, and the thing is, how many people would be prepared to pay, I don't know, 5 or $10 a month uh, to listen to podcasts when effectively you can listen to podcasts for nothing? Well, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, at least at least with the Patreon um, service, your people are volunteering to pay the money, which is a different thing entirely, isn't it? To actually selling them is a is a much different pro- proposition. That... Yes, it's you know if you'd like to support us and you know give us a few pennies, then you you're welcome to do so. I mean, having having said that, I think that's what he's suggesting in this article. He's not suggesting that it becomes a a monthly subscription, but that it becomes a mechanism to make um, subscriptions easier and and giving people the opportunity to subscribe or not. So, what he's what he's suggesting, I think, is just bringing things together. Um, I, yeah, there's that, and I also think um, maybe I I think he's also suggesting that perhaps Apple should step up to defend the whole podcast thing and prevent it being split up into, you know, uh, silos. If you've got these people like The Athletic, um, it says here, podcasts will only be available on The Athletic's owned and operated channels and will not be accessible outside of the paywall. Mm. For example, on Spotify or Apple Music. Um, the hope is that by, by keeping the podcast beyond behind a paywall, the company will be able to attract new segments of sports fans who engage with sports differently. Um, I don't like that idea at all. That just that just smacks of well, as we said, that's not a podcast, is it? That's a that's a paid for content on a service. That's like signing up to HBO because you want to watch Game of Thrones. Yes, it is. It is, but for podcasts, yeah. Yeah. No, not not a good idea, I don't think. Um, but as we know, as we say, you know, Spotify and muscle trying to muscle in on that. Um, somebody else is trying to muscle in on that. So there we go. That's a, a piece from nine to five. Interesting. Uh, It'd be interesting to have some figures about how many people actually listen to podcasts, because I'm guessing in the grand scheme of things, it's probably a fairly small percentage. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, because, of course, um, a lot of, again, what I probably wouldn't necessarily consider to be real podcasts. But, you know, if you listen to the radio now, the BBC, practically every radio show and every TV show... Oh, it has a podcast of its own. Yeah, that's true. Which isn't actually a podcast at all. It's just the... Broadcaster. Yes, it's it's broadcast that you can get on the internet. It's (laughs) it's just their material repackaged into a podcast format. Um, Not that I, you know, I don't necessarily uh, decry that. Um, No. It's it's like... um, it's like the catch-up service, isn't it? It's like, but you know, but podcasting is very, it's very. It's still niche, really. I mean, if you, if you take the word podcast out into the general people in the street, um, young people may know what podcasts are, but I bet you anyone over about thirty <laughs> probably doesn't. I yeah, I suspect it's it's not as mainstream as those of us who you know listen to or um, are involved with podcasts like to think yeah i mean i do occasionally i I, i'll mention to people you know well of course i'm going to record my podcast well what's a podcast (laughs) yes what's that well it's sort of like a radio show that i record and then i put it on the internet for people to listen to is that even a thing it's like yes it's a thing (laughs) it's a big thing yes well that's the reactions i've had as well when i talk about podcasts so um yeah 
But course, interesting, interesting. I'm just wondering whether, you know, if something like Spotify and their ideas, whether it will actually make enough money to actually make it worthwhile doing. I don't know. No, hard, hard to say. Yeah. I guess that the the thing is with anything like that, if when something starts to move to the mainstream, there's always people who think they can corral it and and money, you know, um, yes, monetize, monetize it. it and and you know feed off it, as it were. So I don't know. Um, the, yeah, there's certainly some things going on which I don't think are particularly good for podcasting. As a, then again. I suppose if it allows people who want to, to do it, if you like, professionally to move in that direction, how, how much damage is it doing? Because, But how li- I, I agree, except that, I mean, my only thoughts about it really are people begrudge having to pay out money to watch things. Um, having to pay to listen to things just seems completely alien. Yeah. Because we've had radio for so long and radio's free. You just switch it on, and there it is. And at the moment, of course, you know, I, I, of course, what we're not, you know, I don't suppose we're suggesting that that everything would go behind a paywall because lots of people like us and like, you know, Carl and, uh, you know, Tim and and lots of other people on the, you know, on the uh, My Mac Network. We just do it for the fun. We do it because yeah. we enjoy doing it. It's a hobby. It's something. And that's I, right. You know, Tim. yes, I, I do it because I enjoy talking to you guys. Yeah. Well, when, <laughs> I mean, when I when I started, you know, when I first took over the show, or was when I was working co-hosting with Mark, and uh, I was talking to Tim Robertson, he he said, you know, don't worry about the listening. How how few people would you? He said, I work on the principle. How few people would have to listen to your show before you considered it wasn't worth the effort? Yeah. <laughs> and none. <laughs> it's just like, well, as long as as long as probably two people are listening to it who aren't, you know, direct, uh, you know, directly connected to me, then I guess it's fine. And he said, well, there yeah. You go. I mean, if you, if you get feedback that people are enjoying it, then that's 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 it. Really, it doesn't really matter whether it's one or a hundred or a thousand or whatever. You know, or whatever. Not at all. Um. So. You know, I just that's how I look at it, and now and I enjoy doing it, and I do it for the fun. It's a it's my hobby now. It just gives me something to do. Stops me hanging around on street corners. Oh yes, we don't want you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, and we have one here: card box for iOS reimagines contact management as with social features. Uh, again from Nine to Five Mac, and um. I think Mac Jim put this in the Slack room. Um, there was some debate about um, the name, um, you know, card box, uh, and dangerously like card hop, um, mm. which is quite well known. Um, however, looking at this, it says card box reimagines the address book as a social network in the purest of sense. Um, connect and stay connected in the central place without the noise. Now, we were talking about this before we started. Um, a brand new take on the task of managing contacts on iOS. The goal of the app called Cardbot is to remove a lot of the details of contact management by reimagining the address book as a social network. Um, and the idea is that you, uh, you know, you sign up to this social network for contact details. Um, and all you have to do is manage your own contact information. Um, to find other people in the Cardbox app, you can look them up by their name, a link, or by nearby if they are physically near to you. Um, so a good idea if your friends have the same app. Yeah. Or the are on the same network. Uh, it, I, I suspect it suffers from the uh, 
the same old, same old. Uh, doesn't matter how fabulous a service it is, if nobody you um, wish to be <laughs> contacted, uh, yeah. you know, in contact with is uh, on that service, it's a bit of a dead loss. Uh, it, it's like, you no, know, um, I don't use WhatsApp. Um, but... It still seems to say, it still seems to say that you can manage your contacts in the same way as you do with other contacts apps. Yes, it says uh, also but, but syncs it to the system. Sort of social yeah. element also, to uh, it. Yeah, syncs to the contacts app on your iPhone. Um, and as other people change their information, these changes are synced. Um, yeah, it's a I've nice had, concept, but... Uh, yeah, I've had no end of problems with contacts over the years. Um, contacts seems to duplicate things and lose things. And I, I don't know why. It could be just that I've no, messed I, it. I messed it up from, at some point. No, no, I suffer from that as well. It will, I will suddenly open my, um, you know, my contacts and find that everything's got duplicated. Um, yeah, or addresses disappear. Or so, I will, or, I'm, why have I not got that? I've known that person for years. Where's their address disappeared off yep, to? <laughs> um, the, the other day, I, uh, I went. Uh, I was going to iMessage Mark, and uh, I opened iMessages on the Mac. Yeah, and um, scrolled to the bottom. And I thought, well, that's not the last conversation I had with Mark. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll close iMessages and open it again, see if that will, you know, catch up. And um, it didn't. And then I opened the iMessages on my phone and scrolled down to where the conversation had finished. And then I went into the contacts app and checked that Mark was the same Mark on both. And it's, yeah, it's, it's confusing. Very weird. And and then all of, so then I I went into the contacts app on my phone and. Uh, sorry, on the Mac, and despite the fact that everything's supposed to be in sync, um, there were two different versions of Mark, even though I know I deduplicated everything, you know, only a week before. I know, that's mad, isn't it? And, and then um, eventually... Alison Sheridan, Sheridan, Sheridan did a really good article in one of her recent shows um, about um, email and how it remembers email addresses, but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily get copied across into your contacts. And she told how... I must admit, something I I intend to do because it sounded like a good idea. You can go into email and you can actually into into Apple Mail, and you can actually find all those people that you've replied to and contacted and um, that may not be in your contacts, and you can actually click through and actually add them to your contacts. And I thought that was a really useful that's, article. That's a useful thing to know. Um, yeah. I- I, as you know, listeners know, and you know, I you know I ride on the bleeding edge. Um, I've noticed. I don't know when it appeared, um, but I noticed it uh, yesterday as it happened. Um, a person I've known for some time. Um, he was involved with the Amdram Society here, and uh-huh. about a year ago, he retired and moved to the Isle of Wight. Um, and he emailed me to say, uh, Simon, I'm going to be doing a production of, um, you know, when we are married. Uh, here, I've joined a new uh, Amdram Society. It's like really. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise um <laughs> but i am going to be directing you know when we are married and um uh you know would you help me out possibly with some graphics and whatnot it's like yeah, of course i will um so he he said i don't have your phone number uh so i gave him my phone number and he said i'll ring you on saturday afternoon and we'll talk about it so he rang me and after uh, after the call, obviously, it's just in the list, isn't it? And it's just the phone number, you know, 077 whatever. So you tap the thing, say add to contacts. So I added it to contacts and I put in his name and obviously the phone number's already there. And then below that, there's a, there's a series suggestion. 
found in your email, yeah, uh, because I've entered the guy's name, found in email, this email address. Do you want to add this to the contact sheet? Now, I don't know if that's a a bit, you know, new in the beta I'm using or it was there because I don't add that many contacts because, like, basically everybody I tend to want to contact has already been in my contacts book for years. But um, that that, that was quite nice. It's like, oh, it's found a probable email address. Um, and suggested that this is an email address that might belong to this person, and do you want to add it to the contact sheet? And it was oh, correct. Very good. So I went, yes, please. There we go. Um, so, it, it, yes. I mean, it's it, this is one of these things that for years people have been moaning about how iCloud is wonderful, except, and except contact, where it just messes things up. <laughs> where it doesn't work properly or, or suddenly does all things. And contact is one of the things which people um, complain about. And, and I think I mentioned, I don't know, some weeks, maybe months ago now that my contacts went completely screwy. Yes. And uh, I had to basically sign out of iCloud everywhere, then go to iCloud.com and then go into the contacts there and clean that up and export it and delete them all and paste them back in. And oh, it was a like mess. Yeah, um, I think I've done something similar in the past. Yeah, it's too complicated. Um, it shouldn't be that hard, really, to keep one address book up to date. Well, it shouldn't be that difficult. I mean, you know, if you can sync pretty much everything else effectively across iOS, I can put things in and out of the iCloud drive and and whatnot, and that works, you know, flawlessly. How can you not yeah. manage to keep it? And then uh, the well, other, that's right. The other one you is, should just you should just be able to say, shouldn't you? This is my master list. This is you know well, where I, I want my master list to be. You get whether other, it be in the cloud or on your Mac. Or... Well, you get this other weird thing, don't you? If you go you go into contacts, you you get this thing that will say like in iCloud, in on this phone or on on this Mac, and you know in the cloud yeah. and. And then at the top, all. And it's like, why? Why have we got all these things? Shouldn't it just be all my contact? Yes, it should. (laughs) (laughs) Why Why are there different categories? I don't want different categories, you know? This, I'm sure, is why people like card hop and and whatnot. um, Yes, I'm sure it is. Oh, well, it's been interesting to see if this gains any traction. And there's one or two comments at the bottom I noticed with people saying, I'm already paying enough subscriptions. I don't want to pay another. <laughs> well, yeah, what have we got here? It might only be a couple of dollars, but a month, but yeah. It's a free download on the App Store, but if you wish to connect to more than a hundred people through the app, there's a subscription at what starting at one ninety nine per month. Um, oh, okay. I, I mean, probably haven't. Got, I probably haven't got a hundred in mind. <laughs> I, in all honesty, I think I checked mine, and I've got about a hundred and twenty. But yeah, right. If you think most of those are probably people, you know, who uh, and a lot of those contacts are things who would never join, you know, their businesses and, and things. So they're not relevant. No. So I should think, yeah, unless you're a professional contact person, you know, a, a salesman or uh, that sort of thing. Would you how many people really have more than 100 people they need to be in touch with? So, you know, maybe it will. But yeah, unless no, you're I, a business, I suppose. I certainly, I certainly, well, perhaps that's what they're aiming at, but I certainly would not, um, I would certainly not wish to pay for it. Um, no. I might download it and, and have a go with it. But again, if nobody else uses it, it's worthless. <laughs> yeah. There we are. Uh, right. Well, um, that's pretty much all of the Apple stories, Nick. Um, that's, that's lasted quite a long time. <laughs> well, that's because we wandered off down a few rabbit holes because we knew we, we did didn't have indeed. a lot. Um, 
tell you what, we'll, we'll, there's some quick, quick technologies. And then uh, I'm afraid there's quite a lot of sad security and privacy stories. Uh-oh. So, uh-oh. so uh, let's not get too deep into some of these. Uh, I'll tell you what, shall we do the technology stories? And then we'll take a, take a break for uh, John Nemo. And then we'll uh, skim over the security and privacy before we wrap it up. Um, Sounds good. Okay, uh, UK Saber space plane engine tech in new milestone. Um, oh, yes, I saw this on the BBC earlier in the week. Yeah, yeah. this is on the BBC, and um, somebody put it in the Slack room, probably Mac Jim, because he puts lots of things in there. Um, and if it wasn't wasn't Mac Jim, if it was somebody else, sorry. Um, now, this, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, the Sabre uh, space plane engine uh, is a novel propulsion system um, is an air-breathing rocket engine um, designed to drive space planes to orbit or to take airliners around the world in a few hours. Um, apparently works by managing very high temperature airflows. Um, I've no idea. That's probably way beyond my pay grade. Um, I understand <laughs> yes. how a pulse jet works and a ramjet, and that's probably about uh, <laughs> about the limit of my knowledge. Um, well, this sounds very ex- uh, impressive. It says it did this by successfully quenching a 420 degree centigrade stream of gases in less than one twentieth of a second. Mm. That's pretty impressive. It's impressive. Um, the but basically, it's a, the it's a really powerful rocket, isn't it? Yeah, uh, there's a sort of somewhere between a rocket and a and a jet engine, isn't it? I think that's the. Point. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, what did I describe it as at the top? Air breathing rocket. Okay, I'm not quite sure what that means. It, um, yes, here we are. It's a cross between a jet engine and a rocket engine. Mm. At low altitude and slow speeds, it behaves like a jet, burning fuel in a stream of air scooped from the atmosphere. At high speeds and high altitude, it transitions into full rocket mode, combining the fuel with a small supply of oxygen the vehicle has carried aloft. You mean <laughs> in an oxygen tank? Yes, liquid I oxygen. think so. Um, yeah. Okay, early air breathing approach would deliver substantial weight savings and allow a space plane to go straight to orbit without throwing away propellant stages on the way up as rockets do. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, well, this is, the, I mean, the space plane concept isn't new, is it? I mean, you're probably of about my age or there around, Nick. And do you remember that uh, Airfix used to have a kit of the, of the BOAC space plane? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so that concept has been around probably since the late long 60s. Um, and they all work on this principle, aren't they? That you would take off like an aeroplane, accelerate to high speed, um, and get to very high altitude, and then somehow, you know, change to a high thrust engine to push you out into low Earth orbit. Um, and it's taken this long for anybody to actually get close Make to it. Make it work. I mean, yeah. um, Obviously, SpaceX um, have their Falcon Heavy, but that's basically a traditional rocket. It is. It's very impressive. They managed to land all three boosters recently. Yes, yes, I did see that. Um, Actually, um, somebody posted a link, and um, I'll see if I can dig it up and put it in. A a guy uh, filmed the whole thing, the launch um, of the Falcon Heavy, the separation of the boosters, and then um, coming down and doing the Dan Dare landing on their tail. Because we all know that's exactly how rockets are supposed to work. Why is it it taking 50 years? We all knew that was how they were supposed to work. We all knew that was how they worked. Well, considering I think a lot of people said that, you know, Elon Musk was mad to even try to do this. 
Uh, it's quite amazing. Well, it's the quite amazing when you see clever the, people he's got around him. I mean, just it's amazing. Quite, it is quite amazing to watch. You see those boosters come back down, flame on, little legs come out, just like you know, just like in yeah. Thunderbirds. Nin- 19, <laughs> 1950s, 1960s science fiction, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it is. Yeah, come to life. Um, yeah, I mean, we've all we've all expected rockets to work like that forever. It's only taken fifty years to make it work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, is it v- Virgin? Is it Virgin Space? Yes, Virgin have got the yeah, space. Some, uh, no, uh, there's is some sort of space plane, isn't it? It is, yes. But Virgin Virgin Galactic. That's that, the one. That's the one. And they're building some kind of space plane, aren't they, with the Dragon Crew capsule. Um, there we go. Oh, well, so there we go. Apparently, uh, the pre-cooler seeks to solve the problem by efficiently and swiftly extracting the heat from first passing the intake gases through a tightly packed array of fine tubing, uh, chilled with helium. Um, and the point is apparently to prevent the extreme heat from melting the inside of the engine. Which would be a bad thing, I Which suppose. Which would be a bad thing. I'm pretty sure that if the temperature inside melts the fan blades of your engine, it's not a good. That's not a good thing. Yeah, why are we going down? <laughs> yeah. What's that red flashing light and the big klaxon? <laughs> Don't panic. Don't panic. Okay. Um. So that was that one. Uh, that's cool worth technology. A, cool technology. If you're interested in that. Um, also in a similar, uh, similarly, uh, the world's biggest airplane takes flight for the first time ever. Um, and this is the um, Strato launch rocket launching plane. Good grief. Um, and it's the biggest aircraft. Uh, it's a weird thing, actually, because it looks like two aircraft uh, stuck together at uh, the wingtip. By, by their wings. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, a, as they say, a dual fuselage. Basically, it looks like two aeroplanes stuck together with the wings touching. Um, it's, oh, it's a similar sort of thing, then. It's about trying to get things into orbit. Uh, yes. The the point of this one is it's a rocket launching plane, and the idea is uh, that this 500,000-pound plane, a 385-foot wingspan, damn! <laughs> Damn, that, is what, that is a big plane. That photograph does not do it justice then, does it? I guess that I suppose if you look there, there's some people there for scale, but I guess you don't really and we're used to seeing big things like seven four sevens and whatnot. But anyway. Yes. Um a critical first test flight for this aircraft. Um is designed to fly to thirty-five thousand feet where it can then drop rockets which can ignite their engines and boost themselves into orbit round the planet. Uh there was no rocket on this particular flight. No, well, because if you're gonna test it, you probably don't want to strap on a vastly expensive rocket in case the whole thing goes horribly wrong. Um, there we go. Uh we seem to be very keen to actually get things up into orbit, don't we? Well, that seems think, to be a... Well, I think the big thing here, of course, is, is the... A, there's a renewed interest in putting things in orbit for a, a variety of reasons. Um, and also, of course, people are starting to think, well, if we're going to keep putting stuff into orbit, we need to do it more efficiently than burning millions of tonnes of fuel just to get off the ground. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the biggest problem. If you can get something high enough or accelerated enough that when it fires its rocket head, because there's a, hard, a huge amount of the fuel they burn is simply to get the damn thing to take off. Um, that That's why the European Space Agency decided to put their launch pad on the equator, didn't they? Because it was just less distance. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to use as much fuel because you were closer to the outside, to the outside as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Um, interestingly, just uh, there's a sort of um, side uh, thing. Um, this Strato launch company was, uh, I believe, uh, originally launched by uh, Paul Allen of uh, Microsoft fame. Oh, right, okay. Who had passed away recently, didn't he? Um, yes, yes, he's the kind of lesser known part of Microsoft. Um, there we go. Um, so, yeah, that's a breed. Apparently, originally, Strato Launch had uh, rather loftier um, plans. They were going to make their own rockets and do all sorts of things, but they've scaled back after the death of Paul Allen um, and are concentrating on this plane. Um, there we go. Uh, there we are. It's a very big plane and a very weird-looking thing. But, yes, it, it, the concept is that uh, I think the rockets would be slung between the fuselage, uh, you know, the twin fuselages. Um, it's a bit like the... What was it? The... Um, the X-1 rocket plane? Yes. From when we were kids, that was dropped, wasn't it? From a, a It was carried up into the... Uh, it was carried up high before it was dropped. That's right. And then... Fired. And that looked, that looked basically looked like a, a, ro- a rocket with <laughs> with two wings on it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> two little stubby wings on it. Yeah. So there we go. That's, um, that's that one. Um, then uh, Flickr, this is, this is a little... Uh, Flickr have timed up, teamed up with Pixie or end-to-end photo theft solution. Uh, this was on Pet Pixel, and there's also a link to the Flickr blog where they um, talk about it as well. Um, basically, uh, Flickr members will be able to have their uploaded photos automatically integrated with Pixie's monitoring and protection platform, scanning the web for usages of your work and gives you tools to handle copyright infringement, uh, things such as registering the photos with the US Copyright Office, sending automated DMCA takedowns, if you're an American, of course, we don't have that here, but um, and a case resolution service for recovering lost licensing revenue. Um, well, I suppose that's a good thing. Um, I mean, there, there's less and less reasons to steal photos these days. I mean, we've both talked to on previous shows about the fact that there are free sites that produce some very good photos that oh, you can there use. Is, there are plenty of sites. I've got um, a whole, a whole so, so there really is no reason why um, we should have to use copyrighted material. It's uh, Copyright on the internet is just such a complicated thing, isn't it, really? Mm. I mean, I think the, the, the de facto um, standard is if it's on the internet, it's probably copyrighted. Mm. But that, but that's not true of some of these sites that we've mentioned that where they say, look, there are there are no rules. You can just use these images if you yeah. want to. I mean, uh, off off the top of my head here, we've I've got uh, if I just pop open a short list that I've got here, quick quick ones: uh, freedigitalphotos.com, freephoto.com, uh, freevector.com, free images on Pixabay, public domain pictures. Um, I've got you know Pix here, PX here. Um, uh, there are loads and. Similarly, actually, if you want um, vector or clip art type stuff, again, there are huge. Um, At one time, it used to be quite difficult to find these pictures and things, and uh, you really did have to search around. But um, but there are a number of them out there now that are uh, that are pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and you can, you know, got decent search engines on them, and you can f- often find something that's pretty close to what you want. Yeah. Um, actually, as well, sometimes you can find, um, you know, interesting takes. 
So anyway, Petapixel are reporting that if you, uh, I guess particularly if you are a professional uh, user and you put your stuff up on Flickr um, and you're worried that people are stealing your stuff. Um, and they've got, the, they've got the tools to help. They have the tools to help. Um, there's a free level, which I think uh, Mac Jim, because it's Mac Jim who brought this up because obviously he's a photographer, not a professional photographer, but obviously it's been something he's very interested in. Um, and... Uh, as he said, it covers a thousand pictures for free, um, and then now obviously there are paid levels above that. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you might wish to go and take a look. Right. Um, last technology story: UK train passengers to be offered smart tickets uh, on the BBC News. Um, Jolly good. It's about about time, really. <laughs> yeah, about time. Uh, more rail passengers will be getting the option to use paperless tickets. The Rail Delivery Group has said. Uh, Major stations are going to having are having the infrastructure for smart ticketing installed with nine in ten journeys soon available in this format, they say. Um smart tickets can be bought online and stored on smartphones or smart cards, whatever those are. Um I was quite shocked, I must admit, to uh, I suppose they shouldn't be really, but I watched one of these programmes with oh I forget what it is it Dom what's his name? The one who oh, does Dom, the... Dom Diamond, is it? I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember his surname. Um, it does these sort of reveals of, of 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 people who who cheat other people. Yeah. And he did one on um, on on uh, the railways. Basically, they stopped off in a in a um, university town, and they they got a whole load of people out to make sure people had got the right tickets. Uh, and something like about twenty five percent of people hadn't had either not bought a bothered buying a ticket or or had. Um, uh, bought an inappropriate ticket for for the distance they wanted to go, hmm. and I was quite shocked that it was that higher that higher figure. But the trouble is, so, I, I will say, if you've ever if you have ever tried uh, recently to purchase a train ticket, um, yes. it is a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, because it's bec- it's become much more complex, hasn't it? Because there's so many different companies now, and it depends on how far ahead you're booking the ticket, and yeah. It has become incredibly complex because there are um, there are uh, online uh, tools for actually getting the best price, and sometimes the best price for a, if you're going a fair way in the UK, the best price sometimes is buying multiple tickets. Yeah, well, so uh, rather than buying one ticket to get from A to B, you buy fifteen different tickets to take you short journeys. And you actually stay on the same train, which mm. is a bit bonkers. It's a bit bonkers. Anyway. It is, and you end up with 15 different tickets um, for the little short journeys, and it ends up saving you money. So, yeah, it is a bit of a nightmare. Perhaps the smart tickets might uh, start pushing it in the right direction. Who knows? Yeah, apparently uh, 22% of journeys in 2018 were made using tickets which were bought online. That's not really surprising. In fact, I'm surprised it's only 22%. Um Good grief. It says at the bottom here that there are more than 50 million different types of train tickets across the railway and smart tickets will do little to solve that confusion. Mm. That's the Labour shadow rail minister talking. Mm. Uh, The government and the industry are deluding themselves if they think they are anywhere meeting their own targets for smart ticketing. Um, but there we go. I'm sure he's got an axe to grind. Um, yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> perhaps he has a bad time get, getting commuting to Westminster. Um, on the plus side, paper equating to the distance from London to Edinburgh and back was saved in the first two months of 2019 due to paperless tickets. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot that's of good. tickets, isn't it? Um, it is. 
Smart ticketing will also make compensation for delayed or cancelled journeys easier. Yeah, because they've just changed the rules about it, haven't they? So that it, you're you're entitled to it automatically, as it were. Well, and the other the other one, um, which was in the Slack room, wasn't it? it was um, a Mac Jim, uh, poor Mac Jim, ended up stranded because um, something had happened. He ended up stranded at Edinburgh, or was it? Yes, Grant? yeah, that's right. And, yeah. um, and he has a he has a really long journey to work as well. I couldn't yeah, well, no, believe it when he said, "Yeah, by bus, <laughs> two hours by bus." I feel your pain, Mac Jim. Yeah, Dear but um, he'd gone he'd gone to Glasgow. Uh, it was the weekend, I think. He went to Glasgow because he likes to go to Glasgow and do photo, you know, to wander around taking photographs. And um, yeah. on the way back, something had gone wrong. The train broke down, and he ended up stranded. Um, and he said, "I don't know what I'm going to do." And I said, "You could go find somebody and tell them they have to get you a taxi." Um, because so they did. He did eventually. Yeah, yeah. he did. And they provided him with a taxi um, because they screwed up. It doesn't seem like a huge countrywide rollout. Um, no. Recent upgrades at Waterloo, Edinburgh, Waverley, Gatwick Airport, uh, followed by readers and computer software at Blackfriars, Watford Junction, City Thameslink, London Bridge, East Croydon, and Shenfield. But whatever, I don't know. Um, it, it, overdue, definitely. Yeah, it'll only take place in London because it's the only place in the UK that exists. <laughs> of course. Well, they've done it. They've got Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Look, Edinburgh. Oh, Edinburgh. Sorry. Yes. Oh. So Mac Jim might Mac Jim might be a little bit more in luck. He might be able to have a smart ticket. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, that won't stop them breaking down or <laughs> no, <laughs> whatever. Will not stop any of the other uh, shenanigans. Right. I tell you what. Let's take a short break. Uh, Nick, and then we'll come back and do the tiresome security and privacy stories. Yeah, T is calling. Yep, okay. So, uh, over to John, and I believe he has a couple of speakers. So, take it away, John. Nemo's Hardware Store is delighted to introduce two new speakers from our friends at Audio Engine. The website is audioengineusa.com, A-U-D-I-O-E-N-G-I-N-E-U-S-A, audioengineusa.com. The brand newest speaker that just arrived today is called the 512, 512 Portable Speaker. It's a compact speaker, sort of a large lozenge shape, comes in forest green or black. We have the black one here for review that you will see on the Audio Engine website from the links in our show notes for this episode of Essential Apple and Nemo's Hardware Store. Price in the U.S. is $169. It's the first portable speaker that Audio Engine has released, and it's a micro powerhouse. It's about the length of my hand, and it's a little bit bigger around than my hand can grab. So it's like a giant stubby sausage. Very simple controls, easy to pair, huge Bluetooth range, very powerful, massive bass, room-filling sound for a portable speaker. This is definitely a premium product at a premium price that you will cherish and have for years and will be the envy of everybody who says, whoa, where's that sound coming from? That little black thing or that little green thing? I do not believe it. So we'll have more to report on this and also over at MyMac.com where we have reviewed all of the Audio Engine products over the past several years. They don't put stuff out very often, so when they do, they support it, and they want it to be really good for a long time. They've also released a new version of their A2+. Plus. 
It's called the A2 Plus Wireless Speaker System. This is a powered speaker that stands on your desk or in your living room or in your office or in your studio or your classroom or your lab or wherever you want to be in your bedroom. It's $239 in the U.S. and it's an update and an upgrade. They've improved the sound and they have added wireless Bluetooth to their already excellent A2 Plus system. So this is a workhorse speaker that's very, very powerful, very clean, incredibly strong on the mid-range and the treble. I've been using this in my workshop to demo for several weeks and people are just floored by it. This has been around for about three weeks and I've been demoing it every week. People are very impressed. It comes in black, red, or white. That red is really stunning. We have the white ones for review. So do your research at audioengineusa.com. And if you're in the market for a premium speaker, whether it's a pair, sits in one place, and whether it's Bluetooth or wired, is going to be a masterpiece, massive sound. The A2 wireless speaker system is exactly what you need. But if you want to carry it around, take it camping, hiking, wherever you want, go any place, the new 512, the 512 portable is definitely worth considering. So a little bit less than 200 for the portable, a little bit more than $200 for the desktop powered speakers. You can't go wrong with any product from Audio Engine. These are the speakers that I use personally and give my Nemo's hardware store a recommendation. Thank you, John. Uh, two excellent speakers there and all the links as ever in the show notes. Uh, I haven't mentioned this for a while, but we do have an Amazon affiliate link. There's a big red button on the website. Um, if you click that and then buy things from Amazon, we get a small kickback. Uh, and so if you do that, thank you very much. Um, there we go. Uh, on to the security and privacy section, Nick, the depressing hey. part, <laughs> the depressing <laughs> part of the show usually. Um, okay. Well, we won't spend too long on these because we'll just depress everybody. But um, Firefox expands anti-tracking features with browser fingerprint blocking. Uh, link here to The Verge. Uh, jolly oh, good. Jolly good. It, yeah, it's a good thing. So a reminder for people that fingerprint blocking is uh, browser fingerprinting, rather, is is where they use you, the details of your computer and of your browser to actually say, ah, oh, okay, we can sort of wheedle down. It's not that person. Yeah. It, it, it's not these 300 people because they're using a different browser or they've got a different screen size or... Yep. Um, so they can so they can sort of identify you without you actually giving your personal information. Yep. Well, they can basically identify your device and then follow you around using. That. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, Andy. Andy. Jay had uh, quite a lot to say about that when he uh, did the cybersecurity special. Um, and I don't have the links to hand, but there was, uh, he had several um, links to sites where you could check how fingerprintable you actually are. Um, I'll, oh, dig, I'll dig those out and put them in the show notes underneath this story, I think. Um, Sounds a good idea. Uh, right. Well, um, I don't suppose we... Uh, this one also particularly uh, targets blocking crypto miners, by the way. Oh, okay. So that you don't Which is get, another good thing. <laughs> don't get crypto jacked. Uh, cryptocurrency miners can be explicitly blocked. Um, 
Firefox is testing a new anti-tracking feature which will prevent sites from being able to fingerprint your browser and thus track you. Um, in addition, the browser will now explicitly block cryptocurrency mining scripts attempting to hijack your computer in order to mine digital currency. Uh, currently only available in the nightly and beta test builds. Um, there we go. And then it goes on to explain uh, the what uh, these things are. And new features are part of a broader move by Mozilla to increase user privacy. Um, Last year, Firefox 63 introduced enhanced tracking protection, um, although this is turned off by default. Uh, so if you might want to go, if you use Firefox or Firefox, uh, you know, uh, evolved uh, browsers like Clicks, you may want to check that the anti-tracking is turned on. Um, there we That's go. jolly good. I do use Firefox a little uh, for... Uh... Logging on to work, I like to use a different browser to what I use for everything else. So yep. I use it specifically just for going through our VPN into work. So always good to have more than one browser. Um, it is for lots of reasons. Um, if only if you get a site that doesn't want to play ball with your favourite. Um, yep. For what it's worth, Clicks is built on Firefox. Um, I don't know what version it's currently on. I know it's behind the Firefox uh, numbers, obviously. Uh -huh. Um, but there we go. Uh, there we go. It says, um, go into the privacy and security tab of the preferences menu, select custom with content blocking and select the boxes next to crypto miners and fingerprinters. Uh, as I say, uh, currently only available in nightly builds or beta versions, but it's coming. Be coming soon to, uh, Firefox and Firefox, uh, based browsers, I would assume. Well done, Firefox. Well done, Mozilla. As ever, yes. Um, Mozilla seemed to have um, had a bit of a resurgence because obviously they, you know, when they first launched Firefox, it was a kind of um, attack on the Internet Explorer um, hegemony of the yes. time. Um, and then it sort of fell behind, didn't it? Uh, it be, Firefox did get rather bloated and sluggish and um, fell, yes, out of, fell out of favour um, until they revamped it with the Firefox Quantum. And now uh, Mozilla and Firefox are... Um, having a bit of resurgence. I, I guess all this privacy uh, concern is probably helping Mozilla to push their agenda. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, mentioning uh, Internet Explorer, uh, a zero-day exploit makes files vulnerable to hacks on Windows PCs. Well, as we all know, you should not be using Internet Explorer. <laughs> uh, even Microsoft say you should not be using Internet Explorer. It's only for compatibility uh, use. Um, but there you go. But a lot of people out there will be using it because it was what was on their machine. Yep. Uh, and as far as they're concerned, that is the Internet. So. Yep. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. nobody listening to this show is using Internet Explorer. Um, but no, if you needed I think yet it's highly another, unlikely. <laughs> if you needed another reason not to use Internet Explorer, there you go. Um, what else? Uh, Amazon's Alexa A uh, isn't just AI. Thousands of humans are listening. This was on The Verge. Uh, as you were saying in the break, Nick, this seems to have garnered a huge amount of publicity. And um, as you said... It, uh, just, is that really a surprise? Uh, I wasn't surprised. Um, no, I mean I, I've um, I've tried asking Alexa some things. Oh, sorry. I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> she, sorry, I shouldn't. Have, the A word, the A lady. 
So here we go. Amazon's Alexa isn't just AI. Thousands of humans are listening. One of the only ways to improve Alexa is to have human beings check it for errors. Um, and this doesn't surprise me in the least. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree entirely. The um, I have seen things added to the A-Lady um, where I've asked a question one time and she, she doesn't know what I'm talking about. And I've asked the question later on and she does. So... I don't think that's an algorithm sorting that out. Someone's listened to it and thought, oh, people are going to want to know that. Well, and yeah, I think exactly. we ought to add that in. Yeah. Um, what the company doesn't tell you explicitly, uh, highlighted by an in-depth investigation from Bloomberg, apparently, uh, oh. one of the only and often the best way Alexa improves over time is by having human beings listen to recordings of your voice requests. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, concerns... Gosh, I, bet they listen to, I bet they listen to an awful lot of it. Uh, I'll try again. I bet they listen to an awful lot of expletives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, concerns about how, how AI is trained, uh, uh, trained as it becomes ever more pervasive force in daily life will only continue to raise alarms. Um, mm. Mm. Oh, in this case, the d process is known as data annot annotation. Um, well, realistically, what they're saying is uh, human beings are, you know, listening to, I assume, I don't know how they, they can't listen to all of them. No. Um, I think Amazon here have explicitly said um, humans only listen to a tiny uh, proportion. I suspect what they actually get flagged are things that where, um, you know, where the services are unable to uh, respond. Well, that's right. And quite often um, the A-Lady will say, um give you an answer that is nothing to do with what you've asked. Uh, and at the end of it, she'll say, does that answer your question? Mm. And you can say yes or no. And so presumably it's some of those that they're looking at because um, because the A-Lady's actually given you some information that you didn't ask for, uh, and therefore they can listen to what you've said to, to to make it better. So, no, it doesn't surprise me that they're, they're listening in. Um, people are infinitely better than computers understanding language yeah um uh, and inference and innuendo and all those other all those other bits of language that uh, tend to get lost when all you're doing is passing the words uh here we say the company claims it has a strict technical and operational safeguards and a zero tolerance policy for the abuse of the system Employees are not given access to the identity of the person engaging in the voice request. Any information of that variety is treated with high confidentiality and protected by multi-factor authentication. Um, blah, 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 blah. Well, that um, sounds good. Critics of this approach have been ringing alarm bells about this for some time. When Amazon makes a mistake and accidentally sends recordings to the wrong individual or reveals it's storing recordings for months or even years. Okay, well... Um, you know, there's there's a risk. There's a risk with it. If you, it's just as simple as that. I can't. I can't. I'm not saying people shouldn't be uh, paying attention to this. I, you know. Um, but uh, what does he say here? Uh, How Alexa Learns was published in the Scientific American earlier this month, uh, where he de detailed how the goal for this type of large-scale machine learning will always be to reduce the amount of tedious human labor required. In recent AI research, supervised learning has predominated. 
that that's basically where people listen to it and uh, correct it. Um, today, commercial AI systems generate far more customer interactions than we could label by hand. The only way to continue the torrid, that's an interesting word to use, isn't it? torrid rate of improvement uh, mm-hmm. that commercial AI has delivered so far is to reorient ourselves towards semi-supervised, weekly supervised and unsupervised learning. Our systems need to learn how to improve themselves. So there we go. Um, for now, however, Amazon may need real people with knowledge of human language and culture to pass Alexa interactions and make sense of them. This uncomfortable reality means there are people out there, sometimes as far away as India and Romania, who are listening to you talk to a disembodied AI in your living room, bedroom or bathroom. That's the cost oh. of AI convenience, at least in Amazon's eyes. Um, yeah. All I can say is poor them. <laughs> Yeah, really? For having to listen to me, dearie. Well, I, I, yeah, um, (laughs) despite all my uh, reluctance, my wife has purchased an Echo Dot. And um, it arrived. And uh, if anybody was listening to my son um, experiment with it for them, I can assure you, because he was looking (laughs) on YouTube for all the things you could do to Alexa to cause havoc. Yes. Like ask it, the, ask it the answer to fifty-two factorial, where it started reading out the numbers. It's like Siri, shut up, not Siri. Alexa, shut up. Uh, there we go. Um, and all sorts of other weird things. He was trying to get it to respond to parrot sketch quotes and Star Trek quotes. And he'd found some site where some guy had dug out all sorts of useless stuff that he could. You know, I must admit, it's one of the things I quite like about um, these. Uh automated voice systems is just occasionally they'll come out with something that is really amusing uh, and that takes you completely by surprise. Well, um, I, can't, some... I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I have sometimes laughed out loud at some of the things she said. So. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, according to the YouTube uh, thing my uh, son was listening to, there's a lot of stuff pre-programmed in. Yes, um, yeah, of course there is, yeah. Uh, so Star Trek and Star Wars type references and Monty Python references and things like that. Um, if you, uh, one one that he said was, if you say uh, this parrot is dead or this is a dead parrot, something like that, uh, she will reply with, no, it's only pining for the fields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, no, I'm not really surprised by that. And the fact that, uh, you know, Bloomberg have dug up, quote, unquote, you know, the secret uh, that uh, people are listening to Amazon recordings uh, is no big surprise to me. And uh, by the way, don't, you know, don't anybody think that Google and Samsung and Microsoft and anybody else producing such a thing are not doing the same um, because they have to. Basically, yeah. that's at the moment we haven't yet made a system smart enough to teach itself. Um, that's right. We, we were talking about AI last week, weren't we? And we were saying how that that general AI is not with us yet. No, so. far, far, far off. Um, what was I listening? I was listening to something. Um, I was listening to something earlier on. Um, where they were talking about um AI and and machine learning, and, and the guy was saying that actually. Even the best AI is what you might call autistic in that um, it might be able to be, you know, completely focused on one thing and be very good at that, but that's all it can do. Yeah. It's useless. Yeah, that, that, that's a fair comment, actually. Yeah. You no. Know, um, it, 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 it might be good at recognising images or passing, you know, uh, speech or, um, I don't know, controlling a temperature valve or whatever, but it doesn't do anything else. 
But, yeah, but completely useless at turning the kettle on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, there we go. Uh, security flaws in WPA3 protocol let attackers hack Wi-Fi passwords for hacker Ooh. hacker news. Um, I wasn't Dang good. I wasn't even uh, aware that there was a WPA3 uh, at the moment, but there you go. There is apparently. Um, apparently, it's been just a year since the launch of the next generation Wi-Fi security standard WPA3. Uh, researchers have unveiled several serious vulnerabilities in the wireless security protocol, which could allow could allow attackers to recover the password of the Wi-Fi network. Um, this obviously is on Hacker News. The uh, vulnerability is called Dragon Blood, apparently, because you have to have a super cool name. Uh, um, <laughs> That's right. It's no good doing it if you haven't got a cool name. No. Um, apparently, this is because the uh, the part uh, which uh, does the handshakes is codenamed Dragonfly. Um, concretely, attackers can then read information that WPA3 was assumed to safely encrypt. This can be abused to steal sensitive transmitted information such as credit card numbers, passwords, chat messages, and so on. Uh, okay, the research paper dubbed Dragon Blood uh, detailed two types of design flaws. I'm not going to go through the whole of this. Um, if you're interested, you know, follow the link. Um, there is also uh, links here to some tools from GitHub which can test vulnerabilities. Dragon Drain, a tool which can test uh, which extend an access point is vulnerable to DOS attacks. Uh, Dragon Time, a tool to perform timing attacks. Dragon Force, an experimental tool to take the information to uh, recover from the timing attacks. Um, I mean, the fact is, the vast majority of us probably haven't even got WPA3 devices. So. No. Um, and one of the one of the uh, attacks they uh, they uh, describe here is what's called a downgrade attack, and that is that WPA3 devices uh, can fall back to WPA2 um, if right. um, and WPA2 apparently is no longer considered secure because people can break it. So one of the attacks is to force your WPA3 device to uh, fall back to WPA2 and then attack that. So there we are. Um, luckily, on the plus side here, um, it does say um, apparently a small change, uh, a minor change to the protocol could prevent most of these attacks. So uh, it's quite likely that whatever small changes need changing uh, will get done. I mean, it's a new, it's a new, relatively new protocol. So yeah. there we go. And yes, um, <laughs> as I say, I didn't even know WPA3 was a thing. Um so there we go. Um, Microsoft webmail services were breached by hackers with a support agent's credentials uh, on digital trends. Not much to say about that, really, is there? Um, it says here, Outlook.com. No, I don't want a cookie. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> hackers broke into Outlook.com using workers' credentials, Microsoft says. Um, Outlook.com, MSN and Hotmail addresses for months. No, using... hold on a minute. That, even that sentence in itself doesn't make any sense. You're not breaking in. You're using some valid accounts. Yes. Of, not... of someone. <laughs> so um, you're not breaking in. You're just stealing credentials yes. and using those. Yes, exactly. Um, I suspect, um, no doubt, that somebody, you know, a, a valid customer support agent was spearfished, probably. Um, yes. And they have, uh, you know, been using those for months. Uh so compromised, yes. Um, Microsoft's web-based email services, including Outlook, 
Outlook.com, MSN and Hotmail addresses. Um, in an email sent to affected users, so if you haven't had an email, you're probably safe. Uh, hackers were possibly able to access email addresses, subject lines, folder labels and the names of other email addresses that user contacted. Uh, the content of emails, including attachments, were not compromised, nor were login credentials. Um, they compromised the credentials of a customer support agent. Microsoft have identified the credentials and disabled them. Um, affected users may receive more spam, more on uh, more phishing attempts, and affected users should stay vigilant and are advised to change their passwords, even though these were not compromised, uh, because hackers may be able to use the addresses for identity theft or otherwise credential stuffing. Um, I had a I had a phishing email last night. I don't get that many. I must admit, not that many make the, make their way through to my inbox, but. Uh... A Virgin Media one saying that they couldn't take my payment for some reason, and all I had to do was click on this link. <laughs> I got some very, I got some very bizarre it was, ones. It was, it was reasonably convincing. It had got proper mm. Virgin Media logos on it and things, but the fact that it said uh, "Dear Customer" yeah. to uh, undisclosed recipients, you know, and you think, mm. well, why would you do that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I got some very weird ones uh, to the essential Apple uh, email address uh, the other day, which would uh, I suddenly got a whole batch of about five, uh, all looking completely different and all saying, your email account will be shut down if you don't oh, right. verify. It's like, really? None of these even look like they come from an email company, let alone, uh, <laughs> you know. Having said that, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who just don't know, do they? And they get the things and start worrying about it and... It would be highly, it would be highly unlikely for Sudo Mail to be uh, <laughs> emailing uh, yes, me, telling me they're shutting down my email servers, uh, <laughs> as they're no more than effectively a proxy. But there we go. That uh, yeah. So um, there you go. Microsoft Web Mail services were breached by hackers. Um, oh, bad, not good. Bad news. Um, although in that case, uh, you know, probably uh, you know, not really Microsoft's fault to some extent. There, I think. Um, obviously. We don't know how they got hold of these uh, credentials, but I'm sure it was by nefarious purposes. Um, mm. And uh, pretty much to follow, uh, finish up, uh, I think that's probably all of it. Uh, the New York Times has a piece here, which is a slideshow, um, which you were looking at in the break, Nick. Time to panic about privacy. An opinion piece. It says click here to advance. Privacy is a thing we say we want. You get mad when it's invaded or mishandled, uh, say when Equifax leaks your credit info or when your nudes get shown on 4chan <laughs> or when your health data is held to ransom. Okay, uh, Privacy is something a lot of people are happy to trade away for the slightest reward. We claim we to want it, companies claim to provide it, and neither side is really honest. Um, so we all accept you don't actually have any privacy online. Um, and then he goes into the latest innovations are elevating questions of privacy into much larger social, moral, political and economic issues. Um, digital home security. Um, they don't seem particularly novel. You wish to be alerted if a bad guy comes to your door, but not when your neighbor walks past. Um, you get a camera which scans and face, remembers faces. This is convenient. But what do you do when it spots someone suspicious? What happens if concerned neighbours start sharing these around the neighbourhood social network? What if mm. law enforcement goes, it gets in on the act and every new face is checked against a sex offender register or maybe immigration or customs enforcement? Is this OK? Um, Ring, one of the doorbell cam companies, has a creepy neighbourhood watch social network. 
um, and has filed a patent for creating a database of suspicious persons. Um, right? You don't wish to profile people. You just want to uh, be safe. You like cameras because you can get alerted when your kids come home and you can watch your dog. Isn't that cute? But where <laughs> does all this data go? Can your abusive spouse get hold of it? Your internet company, the smart home, is a treasure trove of intimate data. Uh, domestic abusers use smart home devices to spy on their victims. Um Congress passed rules in 2017 allowing broadband companies to track your digital data. Uh, you didn't sign up for that. You're just worried about package thieves. Isn't it your right to monitor your front door and make sure your toilet paper is not being stolen? <laughs> um, yes, but have you ever considered the privacy of the worker who is delivering your toilet paper? Thanks to doorbell cameras, delivery drivers can be watched and tracked on the job. Is that okay? It's about well... more than doorbells, you know. Mm. Um it depends on whether you think they're in a public place, because if they're in a public place, <laughs> you mm. don't get much choice over with you. I mean, particularly in the UK. No, that is um, true. Um, but anyway, basically... Uh, yeah, I know what it's saying. It's saying, how far do you allow privacy to go? Mm. Um, yeah, uh, interesting. Every time you buy a new device or service which trades in private information, your DNA, your location, your activity, you are gambling on an uncertain, unprotected future. Uh, in the West, we are building a surveillance state no, ne no less totalitarian than the Chinese government, except China is doing it through its government and we are doing it through corporations and consumer products in the absence of regulation recognising stakes at hand. Um, it's time to start caring about this mess. It's time to panic. That's his, uh, that's his take on that. Um, raises some interesting points which I don't think we really have time to go into now, Nick. <laughs> no, indeed. There's quite a lot of moral dilemmas in there, aren't there? There it's, are um... indeed. Uh, there we go. Worth thinking about. Worth thinking about. Yeah. And um, just to top off, we've been going quite a long time. Um, we have uh, Worth a Chirp. Now, um, I came upon this via Stephen Sinofsky, who posted it on Twitter. Um, it's on Vintage Apple, and it's a Byte magazine, July 1989. Um, and you can download a PDF of the full 360 pages of Byte magazine. Um, this is from the days when half a page count was adverts, um, and a lot of them double page spreads to boot, by the way. Uh, if you uh, remember that uh, period of computing, go download it and take a browse. Um, oh, and those, a, those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> those were the days, mate. And there is um, the cover. The cover article is the top 12 GUIs, uh, being 1989. This is before, um, I think, Windows 1 is one of the... <laughs> oh, wow. One of the uh, GUIs uh, mentioned, um, and several others that uh, you have to be of a certain age to even have heard of, to be fair. Um, it's an interesting read in itself, uh, Nick, because it's um, from the days when nobody was really sure what was going to become uh, top GUI. Good. No, that's right. And you had to have a lot of money if you wanted a computer, it seems. Oh, yes. They weren't cheap. Uh, no, I, one of the ads I spotted was, uh, you know, a 386 power for only $3,950. <laughs> yes, it's got some 286s here. I'm just looking at it now. $2,295. There you go. Yeah. Ah. So stop. Those were the days. That's it. So stop your moaning. <laughs> <laughs> Stop your moaning, people. If you weren't around then, it's an interesting look. Um, and if you were, well, go revel in the nostalgia, indeed. Right. Well, I think that's enough, Nick. I think we've filled up quite enough time for a show. Indeed. 
Indeed, people will be getting bored. Yeah, well, yeah, we might have to edit it down a little bit because it's gone. Yeah, quite it might long. be a good idea. But it was quite a, <laughs> considering it's a you know a quiet week and we started off with this bloody no news, we've um, gone rather long. Anyway, so uh, Nick, would you like to uh, do your usual thing? Oh yes, uh, you can find me uh, occasionally on this show and on Bart Bouchard's Let's Talk Apple, and. Um, if you want to contact me, you can contact me through Twitter. I'm Spligosh on there, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Very good. I am, of course, on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Um, the show is Essential Apple. All the stuff is over on the website at essentialapple.com. Um, and I think that's probably about it. Thanks to everybody in the Slack room. Thanks to all our Patreon supporters, of course. And... Uh, I won't be doing a show next week because it's Easter Sunday and um, even if I wanted to, I'm sure nobody else would be available. So no show next week, back in a fortnight. And uh, that's all for now. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast and I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Arizona is never late, Frederick Beggins. Was he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. And usually listening to the Tech Fan Podcast with Tim Robertson and David Cohen, part of the Stoplight Network. And be the essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.